You're listening to No Nonsense Sales from Salesloft, your weekly dose of sales fun where we interview some of the biggest names in sales and separate sales fact from fiction. And here's your host, Tom Boston. Hello, No Nonsense Sellers. Hope you enjoyed your festive break and your start of the new year. And it's a surprise return, really, for No Nonsense Sales because, yes, season two is over. I'm, I'm well aware of that. But before we jump into a new season later this year, I've got a treat for you, a very special interview. So over the holidays, I spent some time with one of the best-selling authors in sales. He didn't come for Christmas dinner, but I was lucky enough to kick back with probably one of the most influential people in sales today. He sold over 100,000 copies of his book, Gap Selling. He's the creator of the problem-centric selling methodology, which is used all over the world. My guest today is Keenan. I had my bleep machine at the ready, and yes, I had to use it. This is probably the most passionate interview that I've ever been a part of. Hope you enjoy. Let's talk gap selling. 100,000 copies sold, right? So salespeople love it. You must get this all the time. Um, But could you tell me more about why you think it's become so vital for salespeople who are who are selling right now. Oh my God. I mean, look, I think like anything else is more than just one reason anything works. I think primarily it was well-written, right? So it, it's not, ri- I'm assuming you've read it, but maybe you haven't, but I'm assuming you've read it and it's not written like a traditional sales book. It's not, you know, theoretical, blah, 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 Bueller, Bueller, but it actually, you know, it, it's written with energy. It's, uh, it has uh, good stories in it. One of my, my, um, uh, I don't know, my someone I admire, look up to from a writing perspective is Malcolm Gladwell. I don't have any notion that I wrote a Malcolm Gladwell book, but I, I tried to write it in a way as if, you know, he tells lots of stories, he uses lots of data, he supports the data, he, he drives you to conclusions. So that's what I did. So I think that's part of the reason the book was good. It's an easy read and it's a fun read and you can learn a lot and it's energetic. I think the other reason is, though, is the principles are sound. The principles are sound in a very clear and um, uh, a very clear way to understand what you're trying to do. There's not a lot of tips and tricks. And so here, do this and here, do that. It's like this. Let me walk you through exactly why people buy. Let me explain to you what's going on in their world. Let me explain to you what triggers them. And it's very psychology based. It's, it's real and it makes sense. I mean, we're always looking for the answers, right? Salespeople. And you talked about their tips and tricks, but actually having something that becomes almost like a Bible for salespeople, I think that's what people have seen it as. And you talk a lot about um, problem-centric, leading with uh, problem-centric. Do you want to talk us through that for maybe someone who's not read the book? Yeah, I mean, look, the idea of gap selling is pretty simple, and I don't know why we didn't figure it out a long time ago. When we're selling something, we're asking people to change. When people are buying they're considering change. So look at either side of that coin. I'm selling you something, I'm asking you to change, or you're buying something and you're, and you're saying, I think I need to change. Well, if you don't understand what's behind that change, what problem are they trying to solve, you can't influence the sale. So it's really that fundamental. Like in a lot of ways, I, I feel guilty saying, well, I invented this. No, I didn't invent it. I just clearly understood what everybody else seemed to be circling the wagon around. It's not about pain. No, 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 you can't. Pain is the feeling, the outcome of something that happens. The problem creates the pain. The problem is what needs to be solved. 
And far too often, the buyer doesn't have the best understanding of the problem or the salesperson doesn't understand what problem they're trying to solve. But that's what it's about. It's you got to get to the problem. And I like to say, if the problem or the current state is not untenable or intolerable, nobody's changing. And if nobody's changing, they're not going to buy your stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, we, we want to get to the problem. And I think, you know, we, we call them discos in the in the sales world, right? We use our discovery calls to do that. Where, where do you see sellers struggling on these discovery calls when, the, when they, un, they struggle to get to the problem? There, there are two elements to where people screw up sales. Well, there's three. Two on the seller side, one on the buyer side. So the first one is <clears throat> the salesperson is trying to sell. That's the first. They're going into a discovery with the objective of selling. So what they're doing is they're doing a discovery to get the person to say something. They get, ah! And then they jump on that and they want to sell, right? I mean, a cheesy example of metaphor is you really, really like this girl. And so you start asking her questions, a discovery. And, to, and, and do you have a boyfriend? Yes. Uh, do you want a lot? Yes. Does he treat you nice? No. Oh, oh, he doesn't treat you nice. Well, I'll treat you nice. You see what I'm saying? Like they just, they're asking very, very selfish, self-oriented leading questions to try to find something that is negative or a pain that they can jump on. That's the first thing. I say all the time, stop selling. A discovery should put selling on the back burner. Your only objective is to understand and diagnose. So that leads to the second problem is salespeople lack the information. They lack the knowledge, they lack the awareness, they lack the understanding of the environment that a, um, a, uh, a seller is, I mean, sorry, the buyer is in. They don't understand the environment that they're selling into. So they don't know what questions to ask. They don't know how to properly diagnose and they can only go two inches deep, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm stuck in this silly metaphor now, but going back to the one with you like this girl and you, and you start asking her questions, when she does say she's not um, uh, happy with her boyfriend treats her poorly and you say, ah, I can treat you better, a really smart person who understands the dynamics of relationships might ask, well, when you say he doesn't treat you poorly, what do you mean by that? And she describes it and then he says, well, does that make you feel alone? Does that make you feel like he doesn't care? Does that make you feel like you're second best? Yes. And then does that align with your relationship goals? And does that make you feel like you're in a partnership? And all of a sudden it went from he didn't treat me well to I'm in a terrible relationship. I don't, I feel lonely. I feel like I'm less than a person. It's affecting my self-esteem. You see what I'm saying? Like, but if you don't understand the connective tissue between how someone is negatively treated and the downstream and upstream effects and everything that surrounds that, you can't ask powerful questions. So the same thing in sales. If you don't understand how the world works in which you're selling, you get one pain and you jump on it and you don't know how to dig and it creates buyer fatigue because the buyer's like, why the f*** are you asking me these questions? This makes no sense. The third problem with discovery is the buyers. The buyers don't always understand their problems. They don't understand what's going on. They haven't gotten the data. They don't have access to the data and it makes them feel exposed. And then because they're sitting there and say, well, we need this and we need that. And you start asking questions and they don't know the answers. Then they start realizing, well, why am I making this purchase? Or this doesn't seem to make sense. And then they feel uncomfortable or they feel like you're asking those questions to try to set them up. So they clam up, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have all three of those, right, then you can't really do a powerful discovery. I'd love to ask you this question, and this is a, it's a bit out there, but I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. What, what do you do when you've got someone on a call who says, 
I know how sellers work. I don't know if you've had this before, right? I know the the the, t- the tricks you're going to say, and I know the questions. How do you kind of navigate that? I mean, if, if it's that direct, I, I personally hit it right on. I said, listen, I appreciate that, but I'm not here to have any tips or tricks. I, I, I don't know. I know what your experience has been with other people, but if you'll give me 10 minutes, you'll start to realize that actually I'm trying to understand what's going on. And, I, and then I say something like this, depending on the environment. Um, I say something like, look, because if I don't understand what your problems are, if I can't define those problems, I don't understand the impacts and I don't understand the root causes, I am uncomfortable making a recommendation, which means I will remove myself from the process because I will not recommend something that I do not believe will work. That's so powerful, right? I think that especially new sellers, you know, and I've been there, you want your solution to to be the answer to the problem, but having the confidence to go, it might not be, that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head, that's how you stop the clam up. That's you kind of, okay, well, I'm, I don't feel as scared now. You don't seem like a scary salesperson who's just trying to sell me anything. Um, yeah, thanks for that. I mean, we're moving into 2024. You know, everything's ever changing. I think AI was the big theme of 2023, right? What, what do you think uh, 2024 will bring? I would say um, the biggest trend or biggest thing you'll see in 2024 is a return to the full service AE and a return to content marketing. The folks have got to change their content marketing. I I used the term not too long ago at SAS to call it awareness marketing. Mm -hmm. This idea that you can just run around cold calling people and reaching out to people and getting them to pick up the phone. That's not going to fly. Organizations are going to have to start to figure out how do we increase our awareness within the space we're playing in a way that people know who we are and uh, reach out to us the minute they feel they need our services. I know it sounds corny, but I don't know if you have it where you are. But there used to be an a insurance company here called um, um, Titan, right? And they had this crazy, okay. yeah, they had this crazy little jingle, Titan Up, right? Well, if you need, if you were those people who couldn't afford traditional insurance, the Titan or the General is where you went right away. Not because you knew if they were good insurance companies, but because they these they created such awareness that that was your first call. And I think there's going to be a whole increase in this concept of awareness. Do people know who you are, and are you constantly in front of them? Speaking my language now, this is this is right up my street, right? I love the idea of empowering sellers, organizations to be top of mind, especially when it comes to like content creation. Yep. Um so you've put a big smile on my face because that makes me that makes me really happy. Um look, I I told a lot of people that you're gonna be on the show and they were really excited and they had some thoughts and some questions. Can I put them to you? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. I um I polled the audience, right, and I sort of said, look, what's a seller's job? And I gave them a couple of options. Is it to present solutions, uh, identify problems, solve pains? Interestingly, 57% said it was to solve pains. So I think that I think that, that you're right. There's a re-education piece there. What do you think? 100%. I mean, look, uh, I, I Beck Holland is a, is a phenomenal researcher. And so she's really good articulating this. But she used a metaphor once that um, her, her tub would get, when she took a shower, the water would rise a bit and it wouldn't go down very fast. You know what I'm saying? And she thought it was hair. And so she tried some Drano. It didn't work. 
but she didn't do much about it. She kept taking showers and kept taking showers. and It was a pain in the butt. She didn't like it. would leave a rim around it, got around her ankles, but she didn't do anything about it. Then over time, it started to get to the point where it was getting close to the top of the tub, right? And then she's like, oh, snap. Like, if I don't, <clears throat> if I don't do something about this now, it's going to start overflowing and it's going to start overflowing into the bathroom and onto the tile and blah, blah, blah. Now she's, so that, now she's got a problem. Now she has a problem. Before it was just a pain. And pain can be anywhere. Like what we just went through getting on here was a pain. The mics weren't working. I couldn't hear you. You couldn't hear me. That was a pain, right? There's some technical difficulties. But unless <laughs> all of a sudden guests aren't coming on or you're having to cancel because it takes too long to get them on and you can't get them back, right? Unless any of that is happening, you don't have a problem. And if you don't have a problem, you're not going to try to fix it. You see what I'm saying? So that's the big difference. Pain is fixed by default when you solve the problem. That's the way to look at it. So let me let me throw some of these at you then. So Shane Mead commented that he thinks it's all about facilitating change, which I think kind of touches on your point. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, that's the outcome. You, the salesperson's job is to facilitate change, which includes identifying the problem, identifying the impact of that problem, identifying the root causes, what is creating the problem in the first place, right? So look at that little trifecta. And then moving forward, what is the desired outcome? What are you looking to accomplish? And so all of the stuff that you had in some sh- in your answers was some shape or form part of the process of managing change. So I would agree with Shane, Sean. I also had a, a note from Andrew Bickers. He wanted to thank you for helping him save his marriage. So I believe that he's... I don't know how I saved his marriage, but that's dope. <laughs> he's just used your, your methodologies to, um, to help him navigate some, some tricky situations, I imagine, with the, <laughs> with the missus. Yeah, and look, here's the deal. I, I, look, I, I think I've gotten... I've never gotten I saved the marriage, but in many trainings and notes, I have had people say that it's helped them in their personal lives, right? And this is why, to your question in the very, very beginning about... <clears throat> um, about uh, why is gap selling so popular? I think because people understand that it's, I just applied the concept of, of problem solving and change management to the sales world. But it, 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 it's universal. It really is universal. If you're having trouble with your spouse, right, so, and, and she wants to do something or is mad at you, whatever, if you start with trying to understand, Stephen Covey, even talking about in the book, right? First, seek first to understand. That's what a discovery is. You, you rather than starting yelling and screaming, you ask your spouse, like, "Hey, tell me what's going on. How are you feeling? Right? What?" And you dig into that. Then you understand what their issues and problems are, and then you're in a position to help resolve them. Right? So, I mean, this is a quick side note, but you know, I'm divorced myself, and it was a terrible experience. And um, uh, I mean, it turned out, and I got three awesome daughters and I have them full time and it's mad ass skiers. We have a great time, but I trust me, we went to tons of counseling, right? Like tons and tons of counseling to save the marriage and all the counselors talked about all kinds of shit and everybody talked about all kinds of shit. Like what is most important in marriage? Communication is usually what comes up the most, right? Communication and thoughtfulness and blah, blah, blah. And after going through this whole thing, if I had more time and money on my hand, I'd rewrite the whole book on marriage counseling because the number one thing to make a marriage work is the ability to resolve the problems. 
It's not communication. Communication is the piece of it. Really, at the end of the day, the reason marriages don't work is people have not figured out how to resolve the issues. So even if you talk about it, if you don't resolve it, it still lingers. And resolving is more than communication. Potential next project for you, right? That could be something to, yeah, you know, you you heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, well, thank you so much. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up the show as we always do with a pump up song. You've brought in a fantastic song. Do you want to share with the audience the song that you decided to bring in? Lose yourself by Eminem. Love that. And why is that one of your go tos? Yeah, when I go on stage, always. Yeah, it's just I'm an opportunist, and it's just in in in. If you had asked any of my teachers in high school, middle school, but primarily high school, if I was going to be an author and I was going to turn out to be much, they all would have told you no. Like they would have said absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. The ones that like me, who knew, who really took the time to know me, might have said, he has the potential. We'll see if he can do it. He has the potential. But most of them wrote me, wrote me off. So I've always had this chip on my shoulder. I've always had this, this concept of, of, uh, of not being, I say taken seriously, that's not the right word, but of not being perceived as the guy that get it done, kind of like Eminem, right? Like this white rapper in the world, like people like didn't think he could do it, right? Even now to this day, it's, it's starting to come down, but if you still ask people, there's still a lot of haters of me, not particularly Gap Selling, but of me, and always been in the position of the underdog and have to prove myself, which is good because it motivates me. Well, we'll finish on this. Everyone that I've met in the sales world has told me to read your book and has recommended it and has had your book in the background. I think you're an inspiration to the whole sales world with where you've come from with your background to this huge movement. And I think that you'll only go from strength to strength and you have the stamp of approval from the No Nonsense Sales Podcast, that's for sure. I appreciate that, baby. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Keenan. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. You got it, bro. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So kind. So kind. Please do take a seat. This is my attempt at Eminem's Lose Yourself. Um, Not great at rap. I've decided to use the melody to Obla D, Obla Da for this cover. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already, mum's spaghetti. He's nervous on the surface, he looks calm and ready to drop bombs, but he keeps on forgetting. What he wrote down, the whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. Joking now, joking now, clock's run out, time's up. Eminem on No Nonsense Sales, as usual, my apologies. We will see you later on this year for season three of No Nonsense Sales All Being Well. Make sure to follow us on LinkedIn, search No Nonsense Sales, and I'll see you very soon for even more No Nonsense Sales.